759. Matthew chapter 13, or chapter 3, verses 13 through chapter 4, verse 11. I'm going to read this for us and then pray. Once again, the page number for the Bible in the seat is pages 758 and 759. Are we ready? Okay. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I, I need to be baptized by you and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him again, It is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Let's pray. Father, please help us to understand Your Word this morning. Would You please use Your Word to change our thoughts, our affections, and our lives for You. Would You allow us to see what Jesus is doing here and marvel at the amazing reality that He has come to be your beloved Son. And so we ask for understanding. We ask that your Spirit would be so present in helping us this morning. 
We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder if you're familiar with a guy named Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor, at the age of five, proudly stood up and told the people who were in front of him, I one day will be a missionary. And sure enough, as Hudson Taylor continued to grow, continued to mature, continued to fall more in love with the God of the Bible that he read consistently, he became a missionary. But Hudson Taylor's life was not without trial and temptation as he was sent off to be a missionary. And in his endeavor, while he was ministering, he would lose two wives and four out of eight of his children. He would also experience serious criticism from other people for the way that he tried to minister or be a missionary, doing certain things like culturally dressing like the people he was around, trying to learn the language, trying to adopt different cultural aspects like the food he ate. There's one story that says that Hudson Taylor ended up becoming so depressed because of the loss of his wives and children that he dug his own grave behind his house and prayed to the Lord, strike me down now so that way I can fall into my grave. Hudson Taylor was a man who was deeply tested and tempted in many ways. But there was a calling on his life and it was noticeable from a young age. And we're seeing something similar here as we come to the baptism of Jesus and the temptations that we see. What the baptism of Jesus normally is looked at is this inauguration of Jesus' ministry. One thing that we could look at is this is more of like his maybe ordination. It's the installation of his service for the Lord. And so we see him submitting to the call of obedience to the Father. But then what do we see immediately after his baptism? In the Gospel according to Luke, the way that Luke phrases it is that Jesus, immediately led by the Spirit, goes to the wilderness. Without a thought or a pause or a stop at McDonald's, Jesus gets up and goes to the wilderness. And so sometimes when we approach this passage, we approach it as separate. We have the baptism of Jesus and then we have the temptations of Jesus. But I think what Matthew is doing for us is showing us that Jesus is this Son of God. And so I believe what Matthew is really showing us this morning is that Jesus is the perfectly obedient, sinless Son of God. Let me just say that again. Jesus is the perfectly obedient, sinless Son of God. And we'll see this in two primary ways this morning. We will see this in Jesus' call to obedience. 
And the second way we will look at this is Jesus' resistance to temptation. So first, let's go ahead and look at Jesus' call to obedience. We, we look at verses 13 through 17, and we see that Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. More specifically, Jesus would have came from his hometown, Nazareth. He came from Galilee and sought out, he looked for, he went and found John to be baptized by him. And as Jesus approaches John, John cries out, Behold, this is the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the world. But then as Jesus gets closer to John and Jesus tells John, I must be baptized by you, our passage fills us in with John's response. A few verses earlier, John's response to the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin is, No way will I baptize you, you hypocrites, you brood of vipers. But now we see John trying to stop Jesus from being baptized. Is John preventing Jesus or stopping Jesus from being baptized because Jesus is also a hypocrite? Well, no. We see something a little bit different going on here. It says, as if a first chair clarinet musician goes to the second chair, or, or, or what you could think of as the starting musician goes to the second string musician and, and says to the second string musician, I need your help. The second chair looks back and says, you need my help. No, 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 it's me who needs your help. There is this humbleness that is coming out of John of saying, I know who you are, Jesus. You certainly are the sinless Son of God. You don't need to be baptized by me. I need your baptism. And so Jesus lets him in and says, well, let it be so. Let it be so right now. Let it happen this one time where I am baptized by you. Yes, John, you, you do need the baptism from me, but I need the baptism from you. Why? Because it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And so John says, okay, Jesus, and takes Jesus by the hand down into the Jordan and plunges Him underneath the water and raises Him up. And as He is raised up, heavens open. The Spirit descends upon Jesus like a dove. And the Father, like a pleased and proud Father from the sidelines, shouts out so everyone can hear, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. But there are a couple of questions that may come to our mind as we read this passage. One of the big ones that we might ask ourselves is, did Jesus need to be baptized? Do you remember or know what John's baptism was for? John, as he's in the wilderness, is crying out, repent, the kingdom 
of heaven is at hand. And as people were repenting, what were they repenting of? Their sins. They were confessing them, and then John would baptize them. Is Jesus a sinner? Did Jesus somehow sin? Was He concealing sin? Was He keeping sin? Was He actually this sinless Son of God that John is calling out saying that this is who has come to save the world? Did somehow the Spirit descending on Jesus make Him divine or God? What is the reason why Jesus was baptized? Why is the baptism of Jesus so important? Why do the Gospel writers tell us that Jesus was baptized? Well, first, let's answer the question, did Jesus somehow receive the Spirit, make Him divine? Well, no. Jesus is the sinless Son of God. He is fully God or truly God and fully man or truly man. He is perfectly God and perfectly man. We see this as the Apostle Paul lets us know that he became he was born in the likeness of sinful flesh. We, we see before this, as Matthew is writing this account, that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit descending on Jesus was a, a, an anointing, was a, a confirmation that he was the one who was to come. This is one of the fulfillments in Isaiah 42 that there would be a Spirit that would descend upon this Messiah. So it's not that somehow Jesus became God through His baptism or somehow Jesus was just man and then became divine through this baptism. No, He was fully God and fully man. Jesus has come to set an example and so the Spirit descends on Him and anoints Him for His ministry. He is truly the sinless Son of God. So if this is the case, why does Jesus need to be baptized? I'd like to give us three reasons why Jesus' baptism is important. The first reason is that Jesus has, believe it or not, not come to separate Himself from His creation, from the people whom He has come to save, but Jesus has come to identify with them. Is this not true when we hear the Pharisees and Sadducees call out, Jesus, this, this friend of sinners and tax collectors? This Jesus who eats with drunkards and prostitutes? This is the Son of God? Jesus, through His baptism, shows us that He has come to identify with those whom He has come to save. He has come to identify with us. Jesus, believe it or not, comes to identify with me and with you. He does not put up some type of barrier or wall where He is unaccessible. Instead, He makes Him accessible and we see Him coming to identify with us through His baptism. So He identifies with us through His baptism. The second is that He has come to be an example for us. 
as John is preaching out to repent because the kingdom of God is at hand and and people are being baptized, confessing their sins. Why was John doing this? It was this baptism to separate themselves from this idea that somehow just being an offspring of Abraham was good enough to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And so John was preaching this gospel saying, separate yourself from this understanding that somehow your works save you. Somehow you being a child or an offspring of Abraham saves you. And so John's baptism was this declaration that I will not look to my tribalism or my nationality for my salvation. I will look to God alone. And so Jesus is being an example as He is saying, in my ministry, I will look to the Father. I will look to God alone. This is what makes baptism so important for us 2,000 years later. If you aren't baptized, and you profess Christ as your Savior, I'd just like to encourage you that Jesus being an example and being obedient to be baptized should be a good enough argument for you to also receive baptism. But here's the last reason. And the second reason flows into the last reason. We need to ask ourselves, well, how did people view baptism? How did the Apostle Paul end up viewing baptism? Well, if we were to read Romans 6, we would see that when the Apostle Paul viewed baptism, he viewed it as being buried with Christ in the water and being raised with Him to newness of life. And so the third reason why Jesus' baptism is important, why Jesus was baptized, was because Jesus was making a statement. This was Jesus' ordination service. It was His installation service. If you weren't here or you don't know what that is, when, when a pastor is being installed, normally somebody comes to preach a message. The message that was preached here for my installation service was when Paul and Barnabas were set apart to be sent out. And then the pastor is brought up on stage and the person asks some questions. Do you promise to shepherd the flock? To lead them? To feed them? To protect them? To live out what you've been called to do according to 1 Timothy? To the role of a pastor? To shepherd faithfully? Do you promise that? Yes, I do. It is this installation of saying, I will carry out the promise that I've kept. And here what we see through Jesus' baptism is it is a foretelling or a foreshadow of what it is to come. This is the ministry of Jesus' life to be the suffering servant for us. This is His installation service as He is baptized signifying In my life and my ministry, I have come here to be the suffering servant to save sinners 
from the wrath of God to come. And when that happens, the heavens open and the Father looks at His beloved Son and says, this is My Son with whom I am well pleased. I wonder if you're here this morning and you know this message of the suffering servant. That Jesus Christ has come with a mission in His mind to save people from their sins. And at this service, at this baptism, He gives us a foreshadow of what this looks like. To take on the sins of the world. He walks the walk up to the Mount of the Skull is nailed to a cross and is the perfect sacrifice for our sins, fulfilling all righteousness on our behalf so that when we trust in the Savior, do you know what the Father then says? All of Christ's righteousness goes to you and looks at you and says, this is my beloved child with whom I'm well pleased, not because of your works, not because of my works, but because of the faithful obedience of the Son of God. He has come to save us from sin, from the wrath to come, and it is through His obedience to fulfill all righteousness that He then calls us to simply look on Him and be saved. If this is a message you're unfamiliar with, please, I'd love to talk with you after service. If this is a message that you have forgotten about, there are people a part of this church that would be more than willing to sit down with you and to remind you of the beautiful suffering servant that we have, Christ Jesus. And this is why then I believe not just separating the temptations is so important, because we see that Jesus has come to be the suffering servant. He is the sinless Son of God whom the Father is well pleased with. But how can we actually trust that? Well, we see it through Jesus resisting temptation. That Jesus is not going to just talk the talk, but He's going to walk the walk. And so, as we move on, we see how Jesus resists temptation. There are a few things that Matthew is trying to do here. Is he's trying to show us how Jesus is the Son of God who will be the one to obey perfectly. One of the things Matthew is doing here is alluding to what has happened in the Old Testament already. Matthew has already compared Jesus to this better Moses, this greater Moses, this more faithful Moses. And now what Matthew is doing is he's showing us how Jesus is the true Son of God, not Israel. God refers to Israel as His Son. And what Matthew is 
showing us is how Jesus fulfills resisting temptation. If you were to read or ask Paul or Peter how they viewed Israel crossing through the Red Sea, they would have viewed it as a type of baptism. And when Israel went through the Red Sea, where did they go? Into the wilderness. After Jesus' baptism, where is he being led to go? To the wilderness. How long was Israel in the wilderness for? Forty years. How long is Jesus in the wilderness for? Forty days and forty nights. When Israel is in the wilderness, what are they being, what is happening to them? They are being tested. They are being tempted. And while Jesus is in the wilderness, he is being tempted. He is being tested. Matthew is showing us how Jesus has come to fulfill what Israel could not. In fact, everything that Jesus says, every part of Scripture that Jesus says is taken directly from Deuteronomy. So, let's see how Jesus resists this temptation as Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Isn't it true that it is more likely to be tempted by the devil? by our own flesh, by demons when we are exhausted. And here it is. The tempter came and said to Jesus, I see that you've been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. You must be hungry. And hey, Jesus, if you are the Son of God. Turn these stones into loaves of bread. There was an existing need in front of Jesus, and so what the devil is doing is tempting him to be a self-provider. Jesus is hungry. And Satan is tempting him to be a self-provider. Now some people read this as if Satan is causing Jesus to doubt his identity. Which could be, but I think what Satan is actually saying here is, Jesus, since you are the Son of God, you can provide for yourself. You don't need the Father to provide for you, so why don't you just... Make some bread for yourself and not trust in the providence or God's providing for you. Why don't you provide for yourself? You have this existing need. Provide for yourself. Since you are this Son of God, show us. And Jesus responds to this tempter and answers, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus replies with Scripture. He replies with Scripture in Deuteronomy that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word from the Lord. What Jesus is essentially saying is that God has promised to provide for me. 
and He will provide for me. Yes, I may have this existing need right now, but I know that the Father is good. I know that the Father knows what I need. If we who are evil fathers know how to give good gifts, then the Heavenly Father certainly knows how to give good gifts and provides at the right and necessary time. One of the main things that Jesus teaches us in His Gospels is, do not worry. If the birds of the air neither sow seeds or reap the harvest and yet their bellies are full day in and day out, then will not the Father provide for me? If they don't build their houses and yet they have somewhere to rest at night, will not the Father provide for me? If, if the lilies don't sow their clothes, will not the Father provide for me? And is this not the same temptation that we still face today? Here's this existing need that you have. Fulfill it yourself. My marriage was pretty good early on, but lately, it just, there's something that has been missing from it. But this person at my work, they really understand me. And I need that emotional void filled. So what does it matter if it's a couple of texts? What would that hurt? Taxes are coming up. What does it matter if I just fudge the numbers just a little bit? We have a house project that we really want to take care of. It'll just be this one time. And so we too are tempted to be self-providers instead of trusting in the Lord's encouragement to not worry where your food will come from or where your clothes will come from. We are tempted, just like Jesus is here, to take matters into our own hands. But this isn't the only temptation that we see. We see two more. As then the tempter tempts him again. Then the devil took him to the holy city. He placed him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, Jesus. Ah, <laughs> And you want Scripture? Let me give you Scripture. It is written, He will command His angels concerning, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Let's really see the Father protect you, Jesus. Let's, let's see just what He's capable of doing when it comes to helping you out. Just go ahead, Jesus. Throw yourself off of the top of the pinnacle of this temple. Let's see what the Father is really made of. Why don't you test Him? And Jesus' response is, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. What Satan is tempting Jesus here with is to manipulate God. He's 
saying, Jesus, let's just twist the father's arm a little bit and put him in a hard situation to see if he really will do what he says he will do. Here's this passage from Psalm 91. Let me go ahead and use this to prove to you why you should be able to do this. It wouldn't hurt to twist the father's arm just a little bit. It wouldn't hurt to really see what he's made of. And Jesus, once again from Deuteronomy, tells us, do not test the Father. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Satan is tempting Jesus to be a self-protector, to manipulate God. And yet, do we not do this as well? Are we not still tempted to manipulate God? We use passages like God will not or God will give us the desires of our hearts. And yet it's normally not what the desires of God's heart or the desires we actually need. It's our fleshly and earthly desires. So God, if you really want me to follow you, then... $1,000 will just pop up into my bank account. If you really want me to read my Bible, then you'll have somebody come knocking on my door and saying, thus saith the Lord, read your Bible. And yet we too still try in very sneaky ways to manipulate God. We are tempted to do that, just like Jesus was tempted as well. And then we see the last temptation here. As the last one, Satan takes Jesus to a high mountain and he has them look out and says, look at these kingdoms, all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give you them if you worship me. And Jesus has absolutely no time anymore with this joker. He says, get out of here. Scram. Leave. Leave, Satan. Leave, you accuser. I'm done. I'm done listening to this. You shall worship the Lord your God and Him only shall you serve. This is an all-out assault on Jesus to a shortcut of glory. And you know what's interesting about this is that Satan says, here's all of the good sides of it, but never shows any of the bad sides. Here's the glory of the kingdoms, Jesus. I can bring you and allow you to have this quick success. And how tempting must this have been for Jesus? Because what His baptism teaches us is that He has come to be the suffering servant. Jesus knew that His road was to suffer for the sake of sinners, and yet now Satan is tempting Him with an easy road to success. Jesus knew that one day all authority would be given to Him through His suffering on the cross. And here the accuser, Satan himself, is saying, I can bring you this quickly. Here it is, Jesus. 
If you just fall down and worship me and follow me, you can have this glory. You don't have to suffer for it. I can give it to you right now. And Jesus sees his need to worship the Lord your God and serve him only as more important than a quick fix to success. And once again, are we not tempted the same exact way? It's a cutthroat world out there, and if I want to make it in the business world, then I have to sacrifice certain parts of character and integrity if I really want to make it in this business world. If I want to be a great boss to my employees, then they need hard love. If I want to be or go to the best school that I could possibly go to, well, then I shouldn't worry or have to worry about these Sunday services or these things. Or We are tempted with quick means to success that only end up making us lose our soul. We are tempted, as Jesus is here, to gain the world and yet lose our soul. And so here I'd like to just ask us this question. Could Jesus have sinned? Through all of these temptations, could Jesus truly have sinned? This isn't an easy answer, but yes and no. We see that Jesus was tempted in every single way that we have been tempted. That means, and he's able to sympathize with us, that means that he felt the struggle within. You know that struggle that I'm talking about? That struggle as if you, when you're faced with the two paths of death through giving in to your temptation and sinning against God or life and resisting, there is that tension. Do I put to death the deeds of my flesh by the Spirit or do I gratify my flesh? And because Jesus was fully God and fully man, there was the tension within his heart. There was the tension within his mind. And so yes and no, and this should bring us great comfort, knowing first that Jesus is the sinless Son of God who resisted temptation. That what he has come to say, he has actually come to do. He's not just come to talk the talk, but he's come to walk the walk and resist temptation. And this should be encouraging for us in another reason, is that in the midst of our temptation and that feeling and that wrestling, we have a Savior who is not put off and distant from us, but instead draws close to us. In the midst of your temptation and the bubbling feeling of the anxiety of do I give in and die or do I give in and experience life, Jesus is right there with you understanding that temptation. He is close and He is near. He is not distant. He has come 
not to further distance himself from his creation, but he has come to draw near. What this shows us is that Jesus resists temptation and draws near to those who are being tempted. As Hudson Taylor was living and experiencing affliction after affliction, what he did was the next right thing. As Hudson Taylor's lost his wife, lost his second wife, lost not just one or two, but four kids, he went to the Lord in prayer. He searched his word. He continued to faithfully trust him one second at a time, knowing that the perfect place to walk is on the rock of ages and not sinking sand. Hudson Taylor would end up becoming the founder of the Inland Missionary Movement where it would cause and spark a missionary movement where hundreds, thousands of people would come to know Jesus as their Savior through this man's faithful toil and obedience, even through temptation. This isn't me saying that he was perfect, but it's me saying that he faithfully trusted in the Word of God. So here, as I leave, how do we then fight against temptation? I think Jesus gives us a pretty good model. Preach to yourself. And what do you preach to yourself? Preach the Word of God. Preach the Word of God to yourself. When you are feeling tempted to despair of life itself, preach the Word of God to yourself. When you are tempted to sin against a brother or sister, preach the Word of God to yourself. Preach! Christian, Christianity is not a, a passive religion. We are to preach God's Word to ourselves when we are feeling tempted, just like as Jesus was tempted, He preached the Word to Himself. Man shall not live by bread alone. Man shall not put the Lord to the test. Man shall worship God only and serve Him only. Preach to yourself, people! We've been given God's Word to know and fill our minds with to understand that we have a Savior who is able to sympathize with us in our deepest weaknesses and that we have been given a Spirit to put to death the deeds of the flesh. And we must do this by preaching the Word to ourselves. So if I can encourage you with one last thought, it's this. Jesus overcame every temptation. He went to the cross and He died for our sins so that the Father looks at us and says, this is my son. This is my daughter with whom I'm well pleased. All of that sin that used to mark you no longer marks you. Instead, it's the righteousness that Jesus has come to fulfill. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Son Jesus' obedience. We thank You that 
he perfectly obeyed on our account. That he walked this life facing trials and temptations and yet was not overcome by them, but instead died in our place. 